0: Welcome to the That's My Financial Guy podcast with Brian Haney, founder of The Haney Company, financial guru who looks great in pants and helps people understand their finances. Welcome to another episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. I am your financial guy, the pant-wearing superhero, Brian Haney of The Haney Company. And today we are graced with the presence of little Applebaum, a guru in the association space i mean i have seen it you float above the covers and it's i'm not it's i'm fantastic. not sure
1: i float maybe glide i'll try well, to you know glide. Hey,
0: i mean I, I i'm at least at the cover level or beneath so um excited to have you here
1: and excited looking to be here. forward
0: to our our discussion through All things associations. But before we get to that, let's have a little bit of fun because maybe even though you are world famous, there may be a few segments of our listening audience that don't know you yet. So we are huge fans of pants on this podcast. You may be aware of that. What's your favorite pair style? Tell me about your pants situation.
1: So I will say, although of course you want to dress professionally whenever you're with a group. I find a distinct change in just, like, how I feel when I get to, like, put my jeans on afterwards. Yeah. Like, automatically, for some reason, that change from, like, professional pant-wearing suit, whatever it may be, to just, like, being able to throw on your jeans is a de-stressor in a way I think yoga is to some people. So, for me, jeans is the new yoga, I guess. I
0: love it. Yeah. No, I I can appreciate that. I mean, as a a pant enthusiast, I, I do feel jeans have their space.
1: But I will say, like I think, socks is actually where you can more have like a distinct flavor to who you are. I notice oh, yeah. your your own pattern today oh, yeah. of we're, we're representing of blue kind of more with Native diamonds. American
0: throwback. It's it's you know it's quite.
1: I like it. Yeah. I like it. We got a little. I try little to let my kids pick mine when they go on. So this That's morning they picked Superman. Strong as the case Strong, would be. yeah. No,
0: the the, the the sock force is strong with this. I one. try. I appreciate that. Yeah. So speaking of Superman, yeah. if you could be a superhero, what power would you have?
1: Actually, I say my superpower is Brilliant Mirror, and I think that's the, the superpower I'd want, is to actually help people hear themselves, right? This world is full of too many people living in chaos and not being sure. able to, like, hear what they're saying. So yeah. super strength is great. Speed is awesome. Flying who wouldn't want to do it. But if I really wanted to help the world, it would just to get, let people, like, hear themselves and then hear each other. I think that's what the world needs.
0: I love it. It's a philosophical answer. I think I would either fly or run That's a, fast.
1: I don't think it just sh- seems fun. I hear that super yeah. strength wouldn't be bad either. Yeah, juggle cars. I mean, if I kids. if I was
0: like the Flash, fast, I think I could play professional, you know, sports and stuff like that. So that's the, I mean, very the selfishly. That's debate
1: in nice. our house is Flash or Quicksilver, who's actually faster? Two different universes. Very true. Fla- yeah, Flash really usually wins because the kids like the red and the color.
0: Well, yeah, his outfit is just lights out better. Would you rather go to space or to the bottom of the ocean?
1: Bottom of the ocean. Space may be the final frontier in terms of its vastness, uh, but I think you need to understand your home before you explore the outside. I think it's crazy. Like, we've lived on the, this is our home, this is our Earth, this is our planet. Yeah. And yet there are these deep death parts. We have no clue what's there. There's there's life forms and animal life. We have no idea what's there. And so uh, I think we could, you know, explore space in eons without finding anything. And yet we know, like right here on this planet, there are things that exist. Yeah. That we don't have to like guess where they are. We just haven't gotten to yet.
0: Yeah. Plus, I've seen Gravity for like ten seconds, and that seems <laughs>
1: that's pretty terrible. Pretty not where where you want to be. Not 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 remotely. I will not start referring to the movies where you know the pressures of underwater and the crushing. Submarines I've seen those the...
0: too, but it's, you kind of like it's a known commodity. I it's guess true. it's just the true. Hazards you can always the... come
1: back up to surface.
0: Yeah, theoretically. Yeah, 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 All right. So besides this one, yeah. what podcast do you like the most?
1: So if I'm going for – I'm a storyteller. I love stories. And so Great. This American Life always has has it's my heart each week. It's really good. Um, and I think the beautiful blend like Ira Glass has had over this length of time of bringing back old stories as well yeah. as creating new ones yeah. is awesome. I'll say I'm also a nerd geek at heart. And so for fun because that podcast for I me mean, is one of those places to disconnect that you can listen for a little bit. And then go back to work. Uh, there's this fun podcast called uh, The Adventure Zone, which are three right. brothers and their father doing a podcast together. So the first round was them playing Dungeons and Dragons, which I know I'm like upping my nerd game here with that, no. S- but significantly, significantly. But it's working, so, so, but like we'll they, go they're with funny it. and it's family together doing it, right? And it's just what started as just silly and a little crass really became a beautiful, like, meaningful narrative by the end, and it was just family doing that together, and I love that. That's cool. Yeah,
0: that's cool. Yeah. No, we are uh, we are definitely collecting a lot of different things that I yeah I'm gonna take a listen to if I haven't already. So again, even though you are world famous for the portion, <laughs> the small portion of listening on uh-huh. said that don't know what you do professionally, share that with us and just give us a framework for sure. You know, what what a day in the life of Lowell? Is I like.
1: I try to avoid the ego and hubris. I feel like you're putting on me <laughs> at this moment. <laughs> So, you know, my passion, my heart is one of facilitation. Uh, I worked inside associations for over a decade, everything on the programmatic side from global business development and membership and volunteer and professional development and components to being a COO. And then I wanted to get back to working with leaders and strategy. And so uh, the main place that my company works is with helping organizations hear each other better, you know, facilitating strategy and visioning and governance and leadership. Uh, And that means working with everything from small little individual member organizations to huge trade organizations uh, that means you get to work with different types of leaders all the time yeah and at, at least for me and for my company this this moment in life I think the passion point is like the mission vision heart of all this yeah is that I'm sure you have a better phrase but nonprofit being a tax status and not a goal like it not that they're not trying to make money for a better cause yeah. but that's not the only litmus test of success right like oh. They're trying Definitely. to influence people and industries and therefore society in the world. And if we can help with that, I love that.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, and, and we both appreciate the association landscape is really the extension of their representative industries. And, yeah, you know, I could safely say most industries are trying to be excellent in some way, shape, or form that goes beyond their service or their product or... You know, their engagement with the, you know, society at large. And it's, it is, I, you know, I, I can appreciate being able to connect at the level that goes beyond the business component, Yeah, because these are, these are real people that are taking on a charge in most cases in some form of an industry that they have no real tangible connection to, they didn't study X, Y, and Z right and what have you, but yet they're picking this up and finding ways to to help all their respective members be excellent. Right, And that's... That's gotta be a lot of fun every day.
1: Well, it's the especially when you work with you know, these boards of directors, right, are usually thought leaders in the industry. Yeah. Brilliant people, passionate people, Mm -hmm. successful people, people just coming in that are new and excited, but rarely do you find the board of directors and the members and volunteers that have expertise in organizational management and strategy, right? Every day they're building homes or they're saving lives. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, all right, we're going to get together for a day or two and actually work on just like strategic visioning for an organization. And because you're elected leaders, now you're experts. Good luck with that. And, (laughs) you know, they come to the table almost all the time, these leaders with like the right heart and the right intent giving of their time and their money to the organization but we can't assume there's this like faculty of expertise when it comes to strategy because in their daily lives that's not the world they live in. Exactly. And so, if we're able to help channel their passion and their perspective and their knowledge into the format that the organization needs to have like vision and succeed, how could you not want to do that?
0: Well, and and I have to imagine in a lot of those moments you actually really see value as people become considerably more engaged as volunteer or servant leaders because through that process that you're you're describing at a high level, they finally actually see how they can be better in that role itself Mm -hmm. because, you know, they get outside their head for at least a, a small period of time and get a better connection to this organization. And now, you know, when they're turning around they are better equipped yeah uh they have a different framework and and you know their enthusiasm and desire can now be channeled in a much more effectively that's yeah. that's got to be that you know that magic moment of just all right now now we're cooking with
1: well with some guys i especially. like your like how many tools can we put in their tool belt right yeah. but you know your frame of servant leadership i love because so often it used to be a lot more hierarchical right yeah the board's at the top of the food chain, makes the decisions, what's good for the organization is what they decide, and that's it. And so much of the world we live in today, we don't want things created for us. We want things created with us. Yeah. And so that actually change changes the obligation of leadership to not just have discussions and make decisions, but to actually be out there having conversations, to look for voice, to look for partnership with those they represent. That representation is no longer just having the voice. It's actually being out there and creating together. And that's a very different approach and skill set. It's more time in some ways. It's a lot more dynamic, but it's also how you survive in an age of disruption and change.
0: Yeah. So since we're both considerably involved in the ASAE community, what's your favorite part of being a member of ASAE?
1: So I will answer... Broad and then specific, the broad is that I think that the ASAE landscape, uh, like many associations, is broad enough that people can find their own journey and passion point in it, that you have to choose to get involved, right? You have to choose once you're a member to do something with that. Mm -hmm. But whether it's contributing to discussions online and collaborate, whether it is by just attending the conferences, whether it's by mentoring and helping someone get their certification. There's all these different paths of engagement, involvement, and growth that are possible. For me personally, my path, I think, of affiliation that's felt made it my professional home has been one of volunteering. Uh, I sort of stumbled across years ago, getting onto the Component Relations Council. yeah, And through that, just through a series of happenstance, Ended up becoming its chair, co-writing the book on component relations. Maybe one of my closest colleagues and best friends in the world. That I wrote it with. This led to involvement in the CAE commission, you know. And so for me, like the volunteer spirit has been my place that yeah. I continue to love to contribute. But what's always interesting for me is that 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 was such the start of the rest of the path that involvement with that council. So I got a call to be on that council, and just through like a glitch and errors, the following day I got a call that I want to be on the membership council. And they're both very important. You can't serve on more than one. You shouldn't serve on more than right. one. And it happens. I'd already said yes to component relations because of that. One day difference, right? If I had been on membership council, it still would have been an amazing experience. But they are at a different place. I don't think I would have become chair right. as the same way. Yeah. I, think my, I actually think my entire journey would have been different because of that one day of which one called first. Yeah, and so I think you can have intent and then circumstance takes its own life as well.
0: Yeah. Well, that's fun. Well and you know, unlike just kind of a, a an industry relational aspect in an association community, yeah. it is that additional component of I think volunteerism mm-hmm. and connecting and, and understanding really, you know, why do people associate? What is membership all about? Right. And how do we have this community that extends beyond our own individual world and yeah. Even our own individual industry space, and that's that's a lot of fun when you think about it. It makes it, is. it makes the the community that's really large feel really small in many respects.
1: You know, I was with a organization, a large organization, this past weekend, uh, where one of the members of the board uh, pushed back on me. It's like, you know what? Like, I hate we use the word volunteer. He's like, I wish you would stop using the word volunteer hmm. because if if our theory, like, if what we're saying is that the only way we're going to see increased engagement, increased membership is not by what people get, but also by what what they give. Like, like the theory is that membership is a relationship and not just a transaction. There, that, there's Absolutely. a two-way there. Well, if every single member is giving, then it's not that you have singular volunteers. It's actually that the like giving aspect of the relationship is part of membership. It's not a separate volunteer thing. It's mm-hmm. that if everyone's a volunteer, then everyone's just a contributing member of the community. You don't need to like designate separate volunteers. Hmm. And so that's a very like, Change in lens. It means you have to redefine like volunteerism. It's not about like committee service or board service for a decade, right? Yeah. That, that there's small stuff too. Uh, but I think there's potential for organizations there to look for greater engagement if they broaden their definition of yeah. what that means.
0: Well, and so that's, that's kind of a good segue. So at this point in history, mm-hmm. right, where we're just seeing a lot of Firsts and and acceleration in certain areas. We're seeing technology. I mean, just it's a pretty interesting time to be on this planet in my yes. opinion. For the association community, what would you think the story that associations are telling? What what should that look like? Or what is maybe the most significant story that can be told by yeah. associations today?
1: First I think narrative and story as a posit, as a frame, yeah, should be where associations are focused. Uh, the idea that when's the last time you brought some, you bought something from a brochure, right? Like the presentation of information is not what convinces us at this point to expend our resources. Yeah. What convinces us to expend our resources is narrative from colleagues or users about the experience they're having when they use the solution. We're like, yeah. you know what? I want that experience also. And that is a narrative story-driven decision-making process. And that's something associations should embrace more. I mean, when you look at marketing budgets, put a little less towards the brochures. Put a little more to how do we grow storytellers and see and see if that makes a difference. But I think the stories that they want to tell, that they should focus on telling, are not actually stories of the organization. Yeah, you know That's the a great point. the powerful stories are the stories of the people, or the cause, mm-hmm. or the the people that our members serve, and if you are able to capture compelling narrative across the member landscape, across who they serve landscape, across the industry partner landscape, the amalgamation of those stories is the story of the organization. Yeah, you know I, I look at organizations at a centennial, right? 100 years, and you can tell the story of the history of the organization, yeah. and they're beautiful crafted stories. And what people love even more are the stories of key people throughout that time who have been involved, and the difference they've made, and the difference the organization's made from them. We relate to the human. Uh, and so if we're going to talk about stories and organizations, I would encourage associations and organizations to try to look at the lens of the story of their member, yeah. story of the individual, That's great. and have those stories be their story.
0: Yeah. And that's you're right. That is a huge shift. I think in just in pretty much every aspect. I mean, you know, I I certainly get the sense, and I feel that associations do have a pretty good finger on the pulse of the story, their member's story. But I think a lot of the nature of how they emphasize that as an organ, as a as an association, right? Because I think. I've seen and noticed that there are certain member organizations that have essentially tried to either control the story mm-hmm. to some degree or almost have their story be their own that they're trying to turn around and give to the members and hope that the members also right. see that and there's value. And so, you know, the degree to which we can engage and see the collaborative effort and really. Like you mentioned, kind of yeah. bring unity to this storytelling process, yeah. where it's probably less of differences of stories, but more of maybe two sides of the same coin. And yeah. how do we tell it to a member to have them join? Which is right. how we, as an organization, tell it to the public at large about whatever you know our our, our membership is doing that's of significance and value and purpose. Well, I
1: think there's a big distinction, like there's a distinction between giving someone a script or talking points, be like, could you just like tell this story for me and read this, right? Right? Like that's not genuine. I do think that uh, this type of approach of how do we communicate in a way that cuts through the noise means that you need to have clarity in who are you trying to tell the story to, Yeah. right? What is the subject of the story you're trying to get them to listen to and what voice is going to be compelling to them? And so there's a a narrative strategy there that ideally an organization crafts before just going asking for random stories. Uh, You know, you want to see greater diversity within your composite body, within your membership. Mm -hmm. That comes with intention. That doesn't happen by happenstance. You want people to feel welcome. Well, they they should either be welcomed in the story or see those that they relate to as colleagues be the ones telling their story as well. Right. I mean, we want to be places where we feel like we could see ourselves. Yeah. We could see ourselves as part of the community. That means as important as the story is, as important as the storyteller is. Mm-hmm. That takes an added layer of preparation, but I think well, it's well served.
0: And I also think on that point, that intentionality has to go all the way up to the top, and yep. and become a leadership, not just mission. Yeah, because mission is is important, but really. The leader has to have it in their own heart that that's their value, that they recognize that we will not be an organization that shines the way we want to shine if we're not this way, if we're not that intentional, if we don't have all of the voices and all of the members of the community at the table participating Mm -hmm. because diversity goes beyond this kind of checkbox or, you know, social responsibility to really it's... Right, it's it's a business necessity. If we don't represent this international mm-hmm. and extremely diverse, you know, society that we live in, yeah. we're not going to thrive. We're not going to be able to have the value that we want to have or the impact mm-hmm. that we want to have.
1: You know, I think so. I've seen recently both the, a hurdle to that as well as an organization or two that are trying things which I find are interesting in terms of embracing it. The hurdles, I think you'll, if you look at the association landscape at this point, most organizations have a commitment to diversity and inclusivity yeah. as like one of their stated values or like right. they'll say like this is important to us. Mm-hmm. The hurdle is once they say this is important to us and maybe even have like a diversity statement is then feeling comfortable enough with the language of diversity to say, okay, how does this actually happen? How do we actually, like, take what is for us, like, a value and a theory and an important, like, core piece of us and put that into action? Because there's such a fear in, I think, society at large, but especially in small community, that saying the wrong thing comes with such great consequence nowadays. And the language of diversity is one that takes time to learn. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one one challenge in terms of taking what is, like, the theory and the heart of it to the actual implementation of it. Uh, I was working with a group that I've been talking about diversity for a while and we were in a strategy session Uh, and we literally spent like three quarters a day. Like this is something that kept coming up. Uh, And so they were redoing their like plan for the next three years, right? Looking at their goals and everything. And they knew they wanted it to be more than a statement. And so what they actually did in their session is they, they had four goal areas and they decided they split their people. They made a fifth goal area that was just around diversity and inclusivity and they sent the four goal areas back to see if all four goal areas if you try to infuse diversity as a priority within the goals of the organization and at the same time if we try to like create like priorities and initiatives of diversity as something separate which would actually work and they did it simultaneously hmm, and what they what they found was that actually because the four goal area groups were given the impetus, were given the assignment of, like, find how you can include diversity inclusivity efforts within these areas. 95% of what the separate group came up with, the four groups came up with independently. Hmm. Like, there was no need of the fifth one. Right. Because just with the, like, goal and the time given and the focus given to say find a way to fit it in, almost everything was, was found. Yeah. Um, and so – Perhaps different cultures need different priorities, but for me, that was like, if we just started to create more dedicated time and space to not just talk about the theory of it, but the practical application of diversity and inclusivity in our organizations, what difference would that make?
0: Yeah. And how do you go about demonstrating that that's a value, that it's a part of your organizational DNA? Because I I know even for my own professional industry, this is a big challenge and it's not we're certainly not industry exclusive on that. There's yeah. a lot of industries across the landscape that have had varying degrees of success and or failure when it comes to changing the DNA, the organizational DNA. Because to yeah. me, it, it, that's the degree to which you need to go to really see this take hold. Yeah. And, you know, while there's varying degrees, and I think probably now more than ever, certainly a lot of enthusiasm at a leadership level there's definitely a lot of fear there's a lot of subconscious fear of you know well, whether it's power authority or or maybe just the way that you see things yeah. that is really hard to let go of and that's and that's you know i mean yeah. we have to be able to have that honest conversation to say well it's not that you're losing but but how can we see this as a gain rather than yeah. a loss or how can we see this as you know collaboration not competition yep. or by somebody else that isn't represented getting to the table and adding their value. You don't lose any value yourself. No. In fact, you probably a greater gain. Hole. Yeah. Right? You get you get to see things in a way that you haven't before and that usually the net result is that everybody wins. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's certainly it's easy to say that maybe as we're talking about right now, mm-hmm. but but there's definitely
1: all well, organizations, you know, I mean, we can bring this back back up and broad Associations and organizations in general are actually dealing with diversity issues. In what they're prioritizing, they just always look at it with that lens. Right. You know. Yeah. All right. Next gen. How are we going to get the next generation in? The next two generations. That. That's a age diversity, as well as to keep those that are like retiring and those that are like at the senior like still involved, like as is appropriate. Yeah. You know, that's something oh, we should take our organization global, we should go international, you know, ge- geography is a whole separate cultural diversity oh, yeah. issue as well. And so they're having the conversations, it's just without the lens. Yeah. Uh, and I sometimes wonder if like, if they use that lens to understand like why they're having these conversations, that would open the door to have other conversations yeah. as well. But I think that, that that's on the table for every organization, for, for all of us to be more open and welcoming and inclusive. You know, Associations exist to associate, right? Like like yes. they are there for people to meet each other, find professional networks, find solutions for yeah. people who know the answers. And so an organization's obligation is not just to set the table, like put the wine and cheese in the room and say, okay, everyone come meet each other. Ideally, an organization's obligation is to actually help make those connections happen. Yeah. They're actually supposed to do more than just set the space, but to actually lower the barriers of interaction. So it's not fully on the participants to walk in blind and say, yeah. Who here am I supposed to meet? Yeah. Like you can do that anywhere. Yeah. Associations are supposed to be better. And I think that creating a welcoming atmosphere through intention is tied into this, but part of the core and heart of why organizations and associations are important.
0: Yeah. The last time you and I met and we had. A conversation that we probably could have gone on all day. Yeah. We were talking about some significant elements of risk mm. that associations face, and and you know I think we've just already touched on one right. The organizations that, in some way, shape, or form, whatever, however we want to describe it, don't win or fail or fall short in the area of diversity and inclusion are going to suffer. Yeah, and their industries will suffer. So we see that. Yeah, but I think the one that was also really interesting, and this is. I mean, geez, really hard to kind of quantify, but the human capital risk, Mm -hmm. and you were just talking about it, right? How do older generations bridge the gap with the younger generation and recognize that knowledge transference is critical? I think you've seen certain things in facilitation that have probably surprised you, and working in a family-owned business with a generation above me. I've seen this too, you know, in yeah. my practice as well as in working with, with clients where sometimes it's that lens that's the issue. But also yeah. I think helping generations recognize that both parties actually do need to have this experience together, that yeah. that the older generation, you know, if they're not, int- you know, these young guys aren't interested in what I have to say, do or whatever, I'm just going to kind of go off into the sunset and they'll figure it out. On You know, we can't have this kind of, wall or barrier that we let go up just because things go unsaid and at the same time a generation that feels that they have so much information at their fingertips and may not recognize that somebody that's sitting in a certain office or suite or just is a little bit older right you may want to crack that head open a little bit more strategically it's not just googling the answer that's going to let you grow and know and be effective but yeah
1: so first I don't think it's just a young and old thing. Oh, yeah. I, th- I, think, if, I think if you ask a 22-year-old how they feel about a 32-year-old, <laughs> I think you may <laughs> find some communication gaps there as well. Oh, yeah. So I don't think it's just like those at the senior end of the career, those at the early. I actually think this is like a multi-generational matrix, if you will. Sure. And I'd I'd say at least two things that I think could help. One is that we are really poor of having listening as a core competency. Yes. You know, in today's day Absolutely. and age where we're, we're – overwhelmed by noise and data and information and emails and news and everything, our listening skills perhaps are not as attuned and refined as they once were. Uh, And that means that we are, I mean, look how our news streams go. We're listening for that, which echoes our own biases, that which echoes our own perspective. Instead of walking into any conversation or walking into any interaction from a place, you may be attentive, but you're walking in from a place of empathy. Mm-hmm. Like no matter if the person across from you is the same or different, are you trying to understand their perspective? Like are you trying right. to say, forget my experience. If I was in their shoes, what would I be seeing at this moment? Yeah. And whether or not you agree with it, that gives you a different level of understanding and lets you have a different place of conversation and, and learning. And so I think the, the challenge of how do we listen better and listen deeper is Absolutely. not an insignificant one. The second is that so often, you know, what you're discussing, Brian, is this idea of like information transmission. Right, like, how do we like take knowledge and put that knowledge in someone else's head? Those that have it, that are more senior to more junior, what have you? Yeah. And frankly, I think the theory of information transition, while still may be part of our educational system, and it's fine. I'm not sure that's going to be the solution. I think it's going to instead be the application of that information to processes of co-creation. Yeah. When you get two people, two groups, multiple groups together. And you try to tell them, okay, learn from each other versus create something together. The creating something together, there's inherent learning about each other in that, but there's also buy-in to that. There's also like a necessity of listening and like give and take if you're going to get to like the final assignment work product. And if we could shift how we do our work, if we could shift how we do our learning, if we shift how we can do our coming together as organizations Mm and bring people together in meetings from a place of information transition, a transmission, to a place of like co creation between yeah. people, that builds bridges. That makes it easier to hear. I'm not saying that's easier to do. No. The easiest thing to do is say, okay, give me 30 slides on a PowerPoint, get up there, talk through the 30 slides, give people two minutes to talk about them, you're done. Yeah. Like, I understand, like, that's easy. And we've been doing that for a long time, too. Yeah. Yeah. But easy doesn't mean that it's powerful. You no. Know? You know, two
0: underlying thematic words that, seem to be coming to the surface frequently are storytelling mm-hmm. and collaboration.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. I mean, what great ways to to address and engage and move the needle in these areas than yeah. to recognize that the storytelling component that's collaborative in nature right. can probably go a lot farther than that information transition or or even, you know, it's kind of like a trans getting out of the transactional part of yes. it uh, in in doing uh, some work with Gary LeBranch when he was doing the CEO Succession, yeah. which is a fantastic great work. It's a great book. But you recognize in, you know in the conversations, and I could see this through all of the interviews that he was doing, that a lot of things that are going to be transcribed and put out deal with transactional elements, but the real secret sauce is that relational component. Yeah. And how do the parties come together... And then engage right? And, and, you know, meet on this, uh, you know, on the field of, we want to make sure that this happens because, and then, the, and it's also the, you know, the, the organization, the sum is greater than each individual part yeah. mentality, right? Where if we don't do this, it's not just about the CEO going off successfully into the sunset and the next person in line being able to step in. Right. It's the organization can suffer collectively when right. we're not all seeing these types of things play out successfully. You know, I
1: think, so let's talk about those two terms for yeah. long, both storytelling and collaboration because I think any organization at this point is going to embrace the the word, right? Like, yeah, right. we need to do this yeah. better. I think part of the the onus for what's next is to redefine what we mean by those things. So storytelling isn't just like the article in the newsletter. Right. I was yeah. with an organization that recognizes the power that people are also visual learners. So like 500 people at a conference, opening session, everyone that's here in the room today, we want you at some point over the course of the next two days of the conference to take one picture that to you speaks to like the spirit, the heart of the mission of our organization and post it to our Instagram or Facebook page, right? There's 500 visual stories of the mission of the organization that isn't about the 10 words on the website, but is actually 500 different perspectives of why the organization is important. That's storytelling too. That's a very different frame you know, collaboration. I mean, I was telling you before we started that Cynthia Mills, who's amazing, uh, and I just piloted this new type of keynote, what we call the community keynote, where the whole point wasn't this like didactic spilling our brain into yours. The point was to facilitate everyone that was in the keynote session to have an individual unique experience at their table, where they could talk about the personal learning journey they want to walk, places of association perspective for the landscape they were in, and feed that all in, that we were able to curate it back. But That collaboration is now going to become an executive summary white paper where they are all co-authors. That goes out to the entire association that they represent. So those that weren't in the room, right? You get a certain percentage of people at the conference. It isn't just like, oh, you missed out. It was never on their calendar. They actually get to like tangibly see the learning, not from one person, but from everyone who attended. I mean, you want to give insight into like why you should be at something. You want to give insight into like what it means. Don't have it be from a single voice. Absolutely. You know, I find amazing from a visual perspective. If you send out like a group shot, the first thing people do is they play Where's Waldo? Who do I know? Who do I know? Who do I know? Right? Tag yourself, right? Exactly. That's that's the world we live in. So there's storytelling there. But will they do the same thing on this kind of like white paper executive summary where all the conference attendees are listed as co-authors? Who do I know? Who do I know? Who do Mm -hmm. I know? Because as soon as they see people like them, young professionals, industry partners, solution providers, volunteers. First timers, that opens the door to saying, I could be part of that community. I should be part of that community. Because it's not just these big names that came in. It's not just the people that have been apart for thirty years. Every single person had a voice in this. And my voice is welcome too.
0: Yeah. Well, and and talk about an experience that's considerably more memorable and relatable, right? We all have heard fantastic speakers and and probably walked away from those experiences better and maybe hopefully we took those nuggets and tried to apply Absolutely. them but if you're now a part even if it was a small part or even if just by being in the room you get to be a part yeah that's that's an empowering experience that i think lives that's beyond what you received from
1: it right yeah so people have different learning modalities so yeah. i don't think it's all one or another but i do think it's important because this goes back to what you identify, which is the potential for better collaboration, Yeah. right? It's like networking. You say, when I go to a group, one of the best sessions I <laughs> do that gets the top ratings is networking evolution. Yeah. And at the beginning of the session, I, I specifically say the words and I watch people's faces and I ask them how many of them felt bile rise up in their f- mouth as they heard the word networking, right? Then I'll joke about doing trust falls, which we don't do. Uh. Yeah. But when you actually give them like a taste of opportunities, allow them to connect, to collaborate, to make yeah. relationships, they love it. And so we have this frame of mind about terms without having the, the positive application of those terms in, in ways. Mm-hmm. I think collaboration is the same thing. Collaboration is getting this you no know, bad rap of like if it's hard to do. Collaboration, you need a mm-hmm. lot of money to bring people together. Instead of taking, we are a very smart community with a lot of potential and more heart than anywhere else. Yeah. Go to any organization and say, we need to be better at helping our members collaborate. We understand the fiscal, re- like, restraints. We understand the resource restraints we have at hand. How can we do this? Yeah. And I bet you every single one will be able to think of ways to help their members better collaborate. It's setting aside the time and the effort and, and the resources to invest in that to say, what would that look like? Yeah.
0: And also being able to see as an industry or as, a, as an organization representing an industry that there's significant value in that yeah. as a outcome plus a community initiative, right? Right. Um, we always think of you put the membership hat on and membership programming and engagement and experience and all the other stuff. But if we kind of pull that back at a higher level and just recognize the value of this experience, or yeah. this collaborative component to that, I mean, that yeah. really raises the bar in the total, you know, in, in not just the engagement, but then it also creates momentum across a community of people who are now in some respects, missing out because you're not a part of this experience that you're not getting elsewhere. I mean, what a great way for associations to all of a sudden tell, right, that story. Yeah,
1: well, that's a different member story. I mean, the member experience needs to shift from I paid my dues, so I got these things. Yes. You want members, you want people to remain and retain, then fine, you'll have those that are just looking for a product. There's nothing wrong with that. And you should have high-quality products. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. But the intent of the organization of a place of connection and collaboration means you can't just produce products. You have to produce experiences. Yes. You have to produce places where these communities, macro, micro, tiny individual, are going to form and embrace all of them as part of the larger whole and that that is part of the reason that you belong to the organization.
0: Yeah, and I think to that point, you know, a lot of the... Let's not just make it feel, but let's make it a reality mm-hmm. that we all see and, and and engage with the truth that we're not going to be better doing this on our own. Right. And we will be considerably better when we are all doing it together, yeah. when we are trying to actively get that tide to rise so that everybody ships sails. Yeah.
1: And I think it – look. If organizations are embrace this more, I hope one of the questions they embrace with it is how do we take these narratives of community connection, introduction, collaboration, and also translate it to end level results? We translate it to what is the return to the member? What is the return to the organization? Because you know, some of these things organizations feel are touchy-feely or like intangible. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's necessary to draw back to, you know, tangible Tangible could be qualitative. It doesn't have to be quantitative, but like tangible return for investing in collaboration, tangible return for investing in community. The personal journey of someone that meets someone at your association because of that meeting gets a job opportunity that then elevates their own career that because of who they met, they now co-author a piece that changes the field. The association is platform for all of that is incredibly powerful. Yeah, You're not going to see that in, like, measuring your P&L, no. you know? But you, you want the the powerful return of the organization. You have to tell that story as well.
0: Yeah. So as we wrap up, if there's one thing that you would want an association leader to kind of glean or to be challenged by today, what would you want that to be?
1: One thing for them to be challenged by today? Uh, you know, I would say to them, what are the top three concepts That you think associations at large or your association has to embrace to succeed, but that when you say it, people roll their eyes. Make a list of like those three words and concepts and then task your staff, task your leadership to come together over lunch or coffee and say, if we were to take this essential concept, which our understanding of it today brings about a negative response and try to think about the potential in it, that there's a reason it's a core concept collaboration, networking, strategic planning. I mean, pick pick what you like. Sure. And we were to try to frame it as a positive. We were trying to frame it as a potential. We we're trying to frame it as something powerful. Yeah. What would that look like? And I bet most organizations could really redefine these core elements of what could help them succeed going forward. But because it's easy just to remain in the definitions we've always said instead right. of redefine it, I think that would be the challenge I would give.
0: I like it. Transformative. I hope so. Well, I appreciate you coming in. This has been a great talk. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, we'll certainly have to do it again sometime. We will see you
1: in Columbus. Looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Looking forward to Columbus. I'm uh, finishing my term as chair of the CAE Commission, and therefore I am uh, looking forward to shaking the hands of all the new CAEs that will be walking the stage on Tuesday morning. Uh, it's great to see them uh, join the ranks of those who have earned the certification. They're helping lead our industry. So yeah. looking forward to that.
0: So uh, if people want to get a hold of you, Lowell, what's yeah. the best way for them to contact you?
1: Lowell at Vistacova.com, V-I-S-T-A-C-O-V-A. stands for Vision Strategy, Community, and Value, which is what we facilitate. Or my LinkedIn page, A-P-L-E-B-A-U-M is the last name because... Last week, I was somewhere where, they, where somehow I earned the name of Lowell Appleham, which is love nowhere that. near Applebaum, to right. be clear. Uh, as well as when I posted that on my Facebook page, I got more likes than the post of the birth of any of my children. Yeah. So Sorry, I think I participated. Uh, in I think so it, too, but it is but it, it, is, it yeah. is funny. Uh, so, Lowell Applebaum, Vistacova.com is the company, and we'd love to speak to anyone who wants some good facilitation. Great. Thanks for listening
0: to this month's episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. We hope you enjoyed yourself. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can find us online at thehaneycompany.com or on Twitter at thehaneycompany. The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal, legal, or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Haney is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated. Member FINRACIPIC.